Yo, welcome to another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. Today we have a very special guest, which uh, who who I've known for quite a bit, and man, has he has he reached some heights. So very happy to have Dylan Leclerc on the show. Before I want to bring before I bring him up, I want to give a quick shout out to the Bitcoin companies that make this show possible. If you haven't already done so, check out SwanBitcoin.com, best place to stack sats built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. And of course, Bitcoin 2023 is going to be the, the biggest Bitcoin conference in the world. Miami Beach, Florida. You can take advantage of the promo code simply to get a 10% discount on your tickets. Anyways, I want to bring uh, Dylan on stage. Dylan, very happy to have you on today. How are you doing, bro? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Uh, excited to, to catch up. Uh, we did meet, uh, what was it, August 2020 uh, at, at Bitblock Boom. So uh, it's been a wild ride since and uh, happy to catch up. Yeah, man, it's definitely definitely been a a wild ride, to say the least. I'm gonna rip the bandaid right from the beginning, and this is a question that you know I was very lucky to have Lynn, Jeff Booth, Dr. Jeff Ross on the show the last couple of months, and you know we all kind of go down this like Bitcoin rabbit hole journey, Dylan, and there's 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 no end to this rabbit hole, and you just come to these realizations every so often. You're like, holy crap, like this is crazy, and where I'm at in this current rabbit hole experience is the scam of inflation. The idea that governments have somehow convinced the population that money has to steal from you in order to work. So the question that I have for you, Dylan LeClaire, is, is inflation necessary for an economy to work? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, it's just that, you know, we've, we've witnessed the you know, the greatest technological boom in, in human existence and human history uh, during a mostly Keynesian economic paradigm um, because of banker interest, because of human incentives, because of the limitations of, of gold to scale um, as a media of exchange. But uh, in, in, uh, in theory, and I believe it, you know, in practice at an individual level and eventually, you know, uh, somewhat of an aggregate level on a global scale, we're going to see the, the reality where if, if you are, willingly or voluntarily operating on a separate system, um, you can, you can, you know, opt out of the kind of uh, political uh, pillaging that, that, that the monetary system uh, kind of forces upon you. Um, so there's still, I mean, we're, we're, you know, 50 years into this uh, period where the government said, all right, you know, we're, we're not even going to pretend that we care about this gold peg or tether anymore. Um, and we're just going to be paper currencies. Um, and we're about a few years, I think about three years into the period where the inflation is unchecked or not unchecked, but it, it was it was checked down, it was held down. Um, and, you know, that was propped up by the industrialization of the world and, and globalization. Um, and now we've kind of reached our growth limits. Not I mean, not to sound like. Uh, what is it, Malthusian, um, but. We're, we're at a point now where the, the debt and the financialization probably reached a peak in purchasing power terms in 2021. Um, and, you know, the war and a bunch of these other things kind of sparked a, a somewhat of a deflation into those things uh, of that paper wealth and into, you know, the commodities and, and hard money sector. But I think the story of the next decade, the story of, of our lifetimes is going to be the perpetual debasement of your purchasing power um, in, in any currency terms with the dollar probably being the best until potentially trust is lost in the dollar. So, uh, a long answer there, um, but I don't think it's it's ultimately necessary. Uh, it's just that most everybody on the planet hasn't like ever operated under a framework where it, it wasn't you know the baseline. 
Yeah. So you said something really interesting there and I want to focus on because usually I'll put it this way, Dylan, we're definitely in the somewhat younger generation of Bitcoiners, right? You, you're a bit younger than me and I'm pretty young in, in the grand scheme of things as well. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because the, what, the statement that you just made holds a lot more weight for us because we don't have an alternative. Like we, like Bitcoin for us is the way out. If you're a little bit older, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but you know, I guess you could make the argument it doesn't affect you as much. So I guess my question to you, Dylan, is where does Bitcoin play? Like what's Bitcoin's role for our generation? I'm specifically, I'm on the younger side of the millennial generation, you're Gen Z. So where does Bitcoin play into this? Yeah, I mean, it, it plays a big role. And I, I think, you know, in terms of wealth, right, like Z Gen Z is irrelevant. Millennials are, you know, as, as irrelevant as any generation in history in terms of like wealth purchasing power now. That transfer is happening, you know, mostly through inheritance uh, from boomers uh, or going to be from boomers to, to the millennial generation and some to Gen X as well. But you know, I, I think it's it's more of a, an ability to to not be stuck in the old world, right? Like I approached Bitcoin at the same time as I'm approaching Keynesian economic theory, and like it was just obvious from a, a fundamental level, like what was not more fair or, or equitable, but what I would prefer, right? Like what I wanted to do with my purchasing power, and that was a very obvious uh, choice over the long term. Uh, but if you've been grounded in some framework or, or line of thinking, whether it's at a you know a business level or a social level or even a political level, right? Like there it's just ingrained into people's heads and, and anything that operates outside of that box doesn't make sense. Is illogical as a scam as a fraud, uh, whatever the things they say about Bitcoin. Um, but here it is. It's, it's, you know, still hasn't tied blocks are coming in hash rates at all time highs. Um, right. Like the market's saying something. Absolutely. Um, do you, do you worry a bit. Do you worry about, and the reason I'm, I'm saying this is what I've tended to, what I've tended to notice the pattern that I've tended to notice. And I, I kind of want to loop back into this concept of, of our generations. And the reason I, I'm bringing that up is, you know, you mentioned it earlier, Dylan, the, if you're under the age of 35, you don't own anything. So does it worry you a bit that <laughs> what I've tended to notice is that specifically the younger you are, the complete lack of interest in something like Bitcoin, people people seem to seek to continue to seek political solutions, and and what I've also tended to notice also is that they blame capitalism for a lot of the woes of of central planning, really of, of yeah. fiat money. So, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think that's that's dead that's dead on. It's dead, dead accurate. There is a, a certain political nihilism uh, to to my generation. Uh, I've seen it with yours as well. Um, you know, kind of a left-leaning or at the very least a polarization, but at the, you know, at, at my age, uh, Gen Z, like there there is a very much, you know, ideological cult um, of social pressure to like conform to this certain, you know, fundamental reality that that just somehow came out of nowhere, right? Which is, you know, uh, you know, two plus two equals equals five, um, and and you know uh, we can blame all these things on capitalism when capitalism is the, is the greatest wealth 
uh, and wealth producer, but not wealth producer, like or wealth creation, but standard of living increase, like because of, of the capitalist uh, innovations and ingenuity. So, uh, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's illogical, right? Um, but I think ultimately, you know, economic reality and, and Darwinism, uh, as harsh as that sounds, is always going to impose itself. And, you know, things like these political ideas work in theory and not in practice, right? Um, America has open capital markets where the global reserve currency. Uh, and when, with that reality, uh, without being able to close your capital account like, like China would, uh, money's going to fl flow to where it's treated best. Um, so any of these MMT, you know, fantasy land things, CBO budget just came out today, said, you know, 2032 comes and debt to GDP is right where it's at, right? You know, we're just, we're just, and to, so to fund all this entitlements, to fund every, all of this, this spending over the next decade, the green revolution, whatever it may be, right? Maybe cancel some student debt, et cetera. Uh, it's all going to be, you know, basically monetized uh, via the Fed or another, another government entity's balance sheet. Uh, there are no structural buyers of the debt. And so your purchase power erodes away with, you know, as, as fast as a spigot does for the money printer. So I think that's the, that's the bull case for Bitcoin is just like, it's just math. Um, and when you say that, it sounds like super bold to someone that hasn't done the homework or, or kind of worked through the game theory. But like, you know, what's the ultimate reality of, of this of this debt situation um, that we're in an experiment of, right? We're 50 years in. So where does where do we go? And I think my answer is is obviously it's debasement. So so where where do you want to put your money? Yeah, they they, they have no option but to, to print. I completely agree with you. But Dylan, you said something very interesting, right? Which is political ideas. You know, these political ideas they work in they work in theory, but in reality, it's 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 a different story. But I think history has shown that you can surely impose those political ideas on a populace for a significant amount of time. Um, and of course, reality snaps back, but it's crazy how long they can hold on, right? And specifically, let, let you know, the example, just, just to mention one, not to dive deep into that, but Soviet Union, right? Yeah. It's how many, it's like, I think it was like 70, 80 years, right? So I guess the reason that I'm saying this, I'm bringing this up is the, our generations, the millennial and Gen Z generation, I think loves entitlements, man. You know, they, they love that idea of entitlements. I think the idea of entitlements is only possible with fiat money, with that money printer, with, with deficit spending. Uh, don't you think that a lot of hostility is going to be, is, is going to be at least pointed at the thing that a lot of people are going to perceive as responsible for those entitlements being taken away from them? And I guess I would reference really the predictions in the book, The Sovereign Individual, where he said just that, right? A lot of people living in this old system, in this giant, you know, welfare, giant monstrosity of a welfare state. And all of a sudden, those entitlements that you fundamentally believe that you're, you know, that you that you deserve are just ripped out of your own hands. And I guess Bitcoiners are in the crosshairs for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's. That's you know not the the cause, but that's the that's the solution. But the the political, you know, opposition to it, and the I mean, really the psyops, right? Um, from a, from a narrative perspective, propaganda will be very intense. I th I think the maybe this is a little nihilistic or a little sad, but uh, it, it it's more so like there's there's kind of a return um, in this shift, right? In this like 
big fourth turning kind of thesis um, where like technological advancement has brought us this far. Um, and now, you know, the monetary system has brought us this far and there's kind of this, this line in the sand, but it's not line in the sand. It's not like uh, one event horizon, but really if you think of like what the 2020s are, have already brought us and what, where they're going, right. Um, what are the, the world economic forums, great plans for us and, you know, to create a, a human race of, of basically cattle in this, you know, technological panopticon dystopia. Uh, and it'll be more of an individual level about whether you want to opt out of that system um, of global control and compliance. Um, and, 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 you know, one of the keys there uh, on that checklist is, is sovereign monetary uh, or sovereign economic autonomy. So, so if you don't have that, then you have nothing. Um, you can't, you know, if you could, if you can go anywhere in the world with a, your money in your head, in theory, that's pretty powerful in a world that's, you know, increasingly polarizing and, 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 and bifurcating. Um, and, you know, who knows where you, you are, or what your political uh, situation is there. Um, and so it's all a relative game. And I think having that flexibility and freedom uh, for someone that's, that's, you know, young, for someone in their 20s, never mind that, regardless of your age, um, you know, if you, if you want that economic sovereignty in the digital age, there's probably not really many other places to look um, for that list uh, of economic empowerment. Nothing else is as important as money. Uh, ultimately as a tool, in my opinion, um, I guess, you know, food shelter, the basics, but um, yeah. So, so Bitcoin is, is right in the middle of this whole thing, uh, but it'll, it'll be at an individual level. Maybe a, you could say a corporate level, some will survive, but not everyone is going to, you know, quote unquote, make it. And that's somewhat of like a harsh reality of this, of this transition. Um, the goal is to get as many people, you know, if we're right here, like, like everybody, we want Bitcoin in everyone's hands. Um, but it's, it's, you know, up to the individual to do that. And uh, that's not on, on us, on you. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, Dylan, the last couple of really, it's been the last couple of months if, if you've been paying attention. But the, how do I put this? The, just, I guess I'll put it bluntly, the hostility by the Biden administration towards the industry, I think they were waiting for an excuse. Um, They're waiting for an excuse to, you know, and, and with that excuse, they denied Caitlin Long's bank, Custodia Bank, from getting a federal banking charter. And then right as of right now, their, you know, their next target is stable coins, right? We, we know that they made an example of Kraken, $30 million fine with the staking. Um, maybe it's because... We're slaves to the news cycles at Simply Bitcoin. We have to cover the news every single day. Uh, but it just it definitely does look targeted, sophisticated. And there's this very excellent piece that laid it out by Nick Carter called Operation Choke Point 2.0. And he really laid it out. He really made the case with all the examples, not to mention the Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Marshall bill that would require Bitcoin developers in the United States to register with the federal government to develop for like absolutely bonkers that you could see this in America. But clearly there is a there's an agenda there. So what are your thoughts on all of this? And, and, and I think it could tie in with what, what you were saying not too long ago. Yeah, I, I mean, I think definitely uh, that you know choke point comparison is valid. Um, I think also we should we should be realistic and, and uh, recognize um, and simply Bitcoin has definitely been one of the media arms, uh, you know, covering this that has recognized it, but there's a whole boatload of fraud and, uh, you know, all sort of shenanigans with crypto companies and, and, you know, the Ponzi's and everything else. 
um, that touched hands with the U.S. banking system, uh, that touched hands with Silvergate Signature, FTX, you know, these stable, there's a, it was a hot pile of money, you know, you know, billions of dollars of leverage, you know, you know, between counterparties and everything else. And there was a lot of fraud kind of in that whole basket or bubble, right? So, so the response is one that I would fully expect from the U.S. banking system, and that's to ramp it up to the point where, you know, only the sterling companies are, or, uh, you know, like just for instance, right, the Binance, the USD coin from Paxos, right, Binance was doing some shenanigans with a peg of that, uh, of that uh, Ethereum-based stablecoin and, and creating their own Binance Smart Chain-based stablecoin, but they didn't back it up all, all the time and they were, you know, counting it the same on their platform. So the New York Financial Service, uh, I forget the, the exact name, uh, NYDFS, uh, came in, said, Paxos, nope, you're done. You, you know, you can only redeem now. You can no longer create stable coins. Uh, and you guys got a year to basically get out of that. So, yeah, it's coming. Um, I think it's not the end of the world. It's, it's you know, certainly uh, U.S. capital markets are the most important. But, you know, Bitcoin's just going to route around it. It's going to do its thing. It's a global phenomenon. Uh, and, and, you know, I think it'll make another all-time high at some point. Uh, and I really don't care what that timeline is uh, to get there. Uh, I honestly expect some chop for a little bit. Um, while we kind of chop through this macro situation, but you know, the, the, the U S has an open capital market system, right? So, so they, they can't stop all capital from coming this thing. It's essentially just a global currency pair. So there, there will be liquidity and that, that will probably be eventually they're, they're going to attempt to consolidate that between the incumbents, right? BNY Mellon and JP Morgan and, or maybe not JP Morgan, but the incumbents, right. In the, in the legacy, in the legacy system serving as those rails, and not as, you know, and not for Coinbase or whoever else is, is really doing a lot of volume with the legacy system. I think that's what they're really trying to, to get to get a hold of. So, yeah, interesting. So you don't, you don't think it's necessarily an attempt to slow down the adoption of Bitcoin. You think it's a legitimate government response at the fallout from the FTX debacle? Yeah, I mean, and, and not to give the government any said legitimacy, I think there's quite a lot of reasons to point that they are completely illegitimate, but a side point, like, you know, that's the system we're operating under. And, uh, you know, you, you can't just go create your own bank, right? Like that's, there is a, there is a cartel uh, of sorts, a regulatory cartel globally uh, with the U.S. kind of operating as that head point. So, you know, um, they're going to try to starve the beast a bit, but you can't, right? Bitcoin's a, a 10, you know, 10 million, 100 million headed Hydra at this point. Um, and so, you know, the cat's out of the bag. It's just a matter of, you know, that it's been in the in, they fight you stage for, for a little bit. I just, you know, Bitcoin just keeps going back stronger and stronger. And they're like, oh, shit, you know, um, but they can't kill it. So I, I'm really not all that worried, um, to be honest. Um, maybe that's a little bit uh, naive, though. You know, me and Opti joke about this all the time. We say, we're just going to have to move to El Salvador. Would you be willing to move to El Salvador, Dylan LeClaire, if things really did get hairy? Uh, you know, I would probably be willing to move anywhere, depending on how you define bad. But uh, going to probably stay in the West for a little bit. Uh, and then maybe, you know, who knows, I'll settle down in a few different places, of which El Salvador, you know, maybe is one. I... I have this uh, infatuation somewhat with uh, kind of playing out the sovereign individual digital nomad thesis for mm -hmm. a little bit um, over the coming years. I mean, that's the plan for my next year, essentially. 
Um, and so we'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, but now Salvador is definitely, you know, it's looking good. Yeah, I tried it for a bit. Um, it's fun, but it does kind of feel like your home is a bag. Uh, so I guess that's cool. Definitely cheap though. That that's the good. That's I guess the the pros for it. Anyways, um, Dylan, don't you think that this you know potentially is forcing Bitcoin businesses overseas? And I think that was one of the main talking points that I've heard against this uh, this onslaught of of regulation. Uh, yeah, I mean, potentially, right? Like it's, it's certainly making it a lot more challenging for the, even the, the legitimate actors here. Um, and it slows things down. Um, that I don't think it's an argument there, but like, you know, there's a, there's a reason for the, the scrutiny, right? It's like the, the largest players in this industry were all, uh, in, a, in some ways fraudulent lied. Uh, there was a huge daisy chain. Um, and now, you know, like, like even not to, not to go down this rabbit hole to this time, but like there's legitimately massive question marks regarding the world's biggest Bitcoin crypto player right now, which is Binance. And they're like basically not allowed to operate in the U.S. They're kind of shadow operating in the U.S. with Binance U.S. But like they and, and essentially, right, they're like 750, 60 percent of all crypto trading volume right now uh, and, and kind of liquidity. Right. So and, and that's just a massive it's a massive black box. So I'm not like throwing shade at Binance. It's just the reality that like it's it's way more nascent than I uh would have thought even in 2023, which is super great because that means it's cheap and it still has massive potential and it's going, you know, it's, it's barely just a teenager. Um, but we should recognize like, it's barely just a teenager. A lot of people don't really understand this thing at all. Um, and, you know, someone operates fraud, uh, via, you know, the Bitcoin or, or whatever crypto. Right. And it's like someone in 1980 or 90 saying like, you know, the Internet enables fraud and scamming. It's like, yeah, of course it does. Um, it's just, you know, it's not the Internet's fault. It's not the protocol's fault. So that's just an education process. And, then you know, we're both blessed with plenty of time to just kind of watch the cards, cards fall. Absolutely. Let's see. Uh, let's see where this roller coaster ride takes us. So you mentioned Binance. Now, I think Binance is very interesting because. Don't they have the BNB token? Aren't they just issuing their own money? Like, isn't that very similar to what FTX did? And then not to mention, we don't know, like they've been, you know, it's been very hard. Binance hasn't showed their book, their books since they last raised money. I think the last time they raised money was like in 2019. Right. Yeah. So how would we know? <laughs> we, we don't know. Uh, and they do have a token. They're not, you know, in theory, they could change. They, I mean, they are operating the validators, right? Like they could change the monetary policy. In theory and practice, they have, you know, 60 to 70 estimated percent of all tokens uh, of this, you know, $50 billion asset that they, you know, definitely had an incentive to pump. And it's, you know, kind of wildly outperformed everything, mm-hmm. uh, even Bitcoin to the downside, which d- never happens. So there's questions and I've, you know, rightfully brought them up and people have said it's FUD or I'm delusional or whatever. And I'm just saying like, hey, guys, like, you know, this thing's at a $50 billion market cap with only it only trades in one place. Uh, and their assets and liabilities are a black book because they don't have to show you them. And they're saying, hey, here's a proof of assets report. And I'm like, assets don't matter uh, at all. Uh, and it's it's really not enough to say, like, I trust your word for it. So so I'm not saying, like, CZ has an agenda or is bad or whatever. I'm just saying, like, there's obviously periods where the, their proof of reserve wallets have changed. They've switched them up. They've, they've 
commingled corporate funds uh, and recovery funds uh, and customer funds and admitted to it. You know, they, they said, here's a billion in BUSD for industry recovery. And we're like, hey, you sent that from uh, the customer's wallets like a, a day ago. And their response essentially in a blog post was like, oh, no, like our security, our internal exchange security is so good that we use corporate funds for uh, in the same wallet. That was the response, like the PR, like they tweeted this out. And I raised that up and people were like, FUD, 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 FUD. And I'm like, guys, like, <laughs> okay, it's fun. Um, so like, I don't have an agenda. Like, I'm just like saying, like, it's just, you know, take control of what you own. If something bad happens, it's all entirely on yourself. Like you signed up for this uh, and you were trusting someone that, you know, doesn't, who, how are you going to enforce responsibility if something bad happens? Um, not your keys, not your coins applies to even, you know, Nico, like you're my friend, I trust you, man. But like, if you're like, hey, I'll hold this Bitcoin for you. Don't worry, I got it. I'm like, yeah, maybe I trust you, but eventually, if I don't and you scam me, then you know I got scammed. Like, I it was my fault. Uh, and I think just there's been a lot of hard lessons, but like, you know, um, not unfortunately. Like, I just hope there's not more hard lessons to come. Um, and I think at some point there will be. I'm not saying it's with you know the biggest elephant in the room or not. I'm just saying like we've seen this stuff repeat through the history of Bitcoin. There's this ongoing process, and I, I, you know, unfortunately, re you know, re regretfully say that the next bull run, we will see, you know, 10x the shenanigans we see we saw this past bull market in terms of people losing funds, scams, you know, uh, phishing scams, KYC, all this, all this crazy stuff. So maybe that's pessimistic as well, but uh, I think we're just gonna we're gonna go through another cycle. It's gonna be 10x crazier. It's gonna be 10x the the amount of uh, fraud. Uh, and that's, you know, a blessing and a curse of this uh, decentralized, uh, you know, internet money monetizing from scratch. Uh, it's just, it's just very Darwinistic. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, the, what was the first one? Mt. Gox, right? And then it just progressively just got bigger and bigger. Last blow up, you literally have Tom Brady and Mr. Wonderful involved. Um, yeah. And they were spokesmen for, you know, the 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 FTX organization. So, yeah, and I agree. Maybe perhaps next time a nation state will be involved. Um, you know, yeah, I know. It, 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 yeah. <laughs> like it sounds ludicrous. But if I told you what happened this or this past year with the FTX stuff, if I told you about the penthouse in the Bahamas and all that stuff, and I told you about that five years ago, you would have laughed me out of the room. So yeah, it's it's definitely definitely wild west for sure. So I, I want to focus on something that you were mentioning earlier, and I think that's a very interesting topic, and that's something that I've heard from people, and 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 I would say it's it's more so of a disillusionment. And what I'm talking about, Dylan, is the the fact that buying the BNB token has outperformed Bitcoin, like even even Ethereum. That wasn't the case. Ethereum still hasn't made an all time high in Bitcoin. But if you're looking at the Binance token, it has performed, it has outperformed Bitcoin, which is extremely rare, like you said. Is that due to manipulation? And of course, we're all speculating here. There's absolutely no way to do know this because it's all, you know, it's all uh, behind the behind the scenes. But what's your take on that? What's going on there in your opinion? Uh, my take on it is that there was an obvious incentive in 2021 um, with the Bitcoin broadly crypto you know, pump where we saw, you know, $3 trillion of, of imaginary wealth creation of probably just, you know, in aggregate, let's say 
a hundred, maybe two hundred billion dollars of capital inflow. That's two hundred billion could be really generous. Maybe a hundred billion total. Maybe less than that. It could be fifty billion in, in raw U.S. cash coming in to this crypto ecosystem, where it, you know got levered up. Uh, you know, with the DeFi stuff, it got levered up as Wall Street funds tried, you know, cash and carry GPTC, uh, starting at you know nine k, ten k, buying up one hundred thousand, one hundred fifty thousand Bitcoin. Sailor punting his corporate, not punting, but like, you know, just all in his corporate treasury, buys another 100,000 Bitcoin, relatively supply and elastic, it, it soars, Bitcoin goes to the moon. Um, and, and you know, the, the, the theory of alt season, right, is this pair, whatever it, this trading pair of, you know, altcoin BTC and whatever this altcoin is worth. And there's really a lot of these things are intr- intrinsically, it doesn't even matter if they have value. Like the, 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 the meme coins are literally just a nihilistic, financial form of gambling that's you know less than zero sum because the exchange for, takes their fees um but given the supply and elasticity of these things and the volatility you know there's there's it's so illiquid right the bid asks are are crazy wide so a little bit of money on either side just moons the thing right and so altcoin outperformance is a big narrative but in particular if you look at like the biggest the best performers during this kind of hype phase it was like exchange tokens right you saw celsius go bonkers you saw FTX go, FTT go bonkers at the same time, you know, Binance, uh, you know, trailed FTT's outperformance by a couple of weeks. I might have that flipped. It might be Binance went first and, and FTX started going insane, but they all outperformed Bitcoin like crazy. And, you know, the smaller market caps for sure, way less capital inflow, but, but people only look at the percent returns. Um, and, you know, they all, all of those things crashed, the correlation and, and, uh, you know, illiquidity traded, both ways, you know, as volatile asset to the upside, more volatile than Bitcoin to the downside as well. And BNB was like kind of this weird financial anomaly where it was, you know, a 200, 300 vol asset in a, in a bull market and a bear market where Bitcoin is, uh, you know, after it's kind of all settled down, Bitcoin's a, let's call it a, I don't know, 80 vol asset. Uh, BNB is just around the same. It's a little higher, but not double, not triple. Like it wasn't a bull market. And like those things make me scratch my head. I can't, I, I can't, you know, know anything there, but uh, ask yourself what the incentive is to, to pump your thing that you own 70 billion of. And the thing is, the thing that makes me fishy is like, you know, a, a smart capital allocator, if they created, created money, created a, an asset from nothing and it, and it within five years or four years, the thing was worth total market cap, hundred billion. And you had 50 of that. Um, and you know you can't unload that 50% into the market. But it would, in theory, make sense to like take some chips off the table if you were an unbiased capital allocator. And the fact that they're like, oh, we've never so- sold any and we don't leverage against it. It's like, okay, then what is the point of holding it? There is no point. So, so if you're never going to sell it because you don't want it, that to impact the market to the downside, where there's no real natural buyers, right? You're the primary market maker. You're the primary liquidity. That's, you're all the liquidity. Binance platform. Um, you're not. You can't really sell any. Um, so the thing that I would worry about, and the reason FTX went down, was because they were borrowed, collateralized against the solvency of the the aggregate system. They were collateralized against their own exchange token. So I, I have. I couldn't prove the Binance is doing that. Do I think that's it's it's you know a majority chance they are? I don't. I, I mean, I hope not. Uh, but certainly the outperformance is is noteworthy and not really noteworthy in a great way. It's noteworthy in like a very suspect way, in my opinion. So could I be wrong there? Of course, um, I'm not accusing them of anything, but I, I would encourage people to be more skeptical of, of the world in general 
right? These are not outrageous things to ask or, or, or post forward. It's not FUD. It's like basic due diligence. Uh, so yeah, that's my thoughts on, on that. Interesting. Yeah. And I agree. It is kind of, it is kind of like this, this weird anomaly, right? It, it is strange. And then, right. What, what's that? It is a very famous saying, right? Like if you don't understand, like, just look at the incentives and yeah, totally incentivized to, to manipulate it to his benefit. And I think you pointed out the, the lack of liquidity is interesting. If, if you want to sell a lot anyways, before I get carried away, um, so Dylan, I think a lot of people last uh, bull market were let down. Um, I think a lot of people were anticipating 100K Bitcoin minimum. I come from the school of thought uh, that it's interesting how the CCP banned Bitcoin mining right at the perfect time in the Bitcoin bull market. And that, you know, shortly after we had a massive price crash, as long as with the hash rate. So... Were you one of those people, and uh, you know, I could say I was definitely on a personal level. Were you one of those people that were expecting 100k Bitcoin, the last bull market, and why didn't we hit that? Were were people overly bullish? Uh, there's this theory also diminishing returns, which kind of makes sense, right? It's a lot harder for Bitcoin to get from 50k to 100k than it was for to get from a dollar to two dollars, right? Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on this? And and a lot of people see it, Dylan. Is the opportunity are, are, are people late to Bitcoin? Uh, no, I don't think people are late. Uh, and to answer your question, I was. Uh, at the time, um, I, was, I, was pretty, I was pretty bullish uh, on the price action, um, kind of in, in the spring, obviously. Um, I was, you know, had over 100% of my net worth in, in Bitcoin by the summer of 2020, um, kind of acquiring really any leverage I could. Um, irresponsible, but as a 19-year-old you know, kid, like transparently, I was, I was doing that. Uh, Pumped like crazy, retraced with the China stuff. Still, you know, balls deep long. Um, got got some call option exposure and a bunch of other uh, in mining plays in the summer of 2021, uh, and rode those rode those pretty high and didn't fully round trip. Uh, like I have a, a hodl stack, I don't touch it. I'm constantly adding to it at DCA. Um, given my job as a as a market analyst and as someone looking at data and markets eight hours a day, like I also have have something like. Uh, a portfolio, a book where I'll actively manage it a little bit more. So, you know, I, I buy some equity sometimes, I short equities, bonds, options, all these other things. Um, and I don't like to, given the size of my like, audience now that I kind of just stumbled into, I don't like to like transparent, not transparently show my book, but I don't like to, you know, post my book all the time. My book meaning like, you know, whether I'm buying this or selling that. I'll, I'll occasionally, but I won't often just disclose it because I don't think, um, I don't, I don't want to like, influence my followers to do this or that other than like, save for yourself the long term. I think it's a pretty reasonable position to, to kind of uh, put forward. Uh, but no, I didn't, I didn't sell the top. I wish I would. I, I wish I did, you know, in hindsight is always 2020. Um, but, you know, since I think court, first quarter of 2021, uh, 2022, rather, I'm sorry, uh, when it was pretty clear that uh, the kind of the credit system, the, the economic tide was turning a little bit, um, you know, that the didn't make the flip perfect in uh, 2021 of uh, November. But uh, once it was clear that, okay, the bond market's, has to sell off here because uh, inflation's you know six seven hundred basis points over our you know all durations of uh, of the yields you know we're we're in for some pain and a uh, kind of liquidity suck and I think we're still in that right like I still think a recession is coming the the economy is surprisingly resilient in nominal terms uh, but I do think we're headed for somewhat of a 
a kind of a debt, not unwind, but right. We just saw a massive wealth destruction in 2022 from all time bubble, everything bubble highs. Uh, and you just look at like what the wealth effect does to a real economy on a lag. Uh, and there's, you know, there's certainly some uh, contraction coming in my opinion. And so, so Bitcoin is going to do extremely well over the long term. but like the, the only reason I pay attention to any of this economic data and cycles and everything else are at post the fed funds rate futures. Like why that stuff fascinates me is because, you know, we're always focused, hyper-focused on the numerator BTC, which is, which is the important thing here. But from an exchange rate perspective, there's going to be times and asymmetric times at that where the USD component of all this is going to be the driving force. It's going to be the reason Bitcoin ticks up, ticks down. Uh, and we've often seen, we saw that in a lot of 2022, right? Um, so, I mean, today Bitcoin's up eight, 10%. Equities are, you know, mildly green. That's pretty encouraging to see. And, and it shows somewhat of like a supply demand mismatch, at least locally. Um, you know, maybe like, like sellers in aggregate are exhausted after getting absolutely pummeled over the last year. Um, but Bitcoin as, as this global asset, right, as it's monetizing on, on everyone's balance sheet around the world, Bitcoiners should recognize. And I think even honestly be encouraged by the fact that Bitcoin is trading with global liquidity as the dollar strengthens, you know, and, and on, in aggregate, everybody's short dollars in this financial, uh, this current monetary system. And so as there's a short squeeze on the dollars, right, like just this is basic math, like denominator USD is increasing and the numerator BTC is just all else being equal, right? And, and Bitcoin exchange rate drops a little bit. Like, I think that's natural and I think that's a good thing. And it shows Bitcoin's maturing and that, you know, there's going to be a lot more liquidity that can flood into this thing as a pure monetary asset, right? People were, or, you know, monetized bonds, people monetize equities, right? And, and as now bonds are sold off and equities are, are, are more expensive relative to bonds than ever, right? So people are still have this like monetary premium for equities as like the store of value. Um, but now the S&P, right? Here's like the interesting thing is the S&P has like an earnings yield right now this year of 5%. But you can also get that risk-free, risk-free as in, you know, the government is going to pay you by printing press or by force via taxation. But that, that's, that short-term stuff's paying 5% too. So stocks are now in this weird place where like they're down 20% from the highs, but they're more overvalued relatively than they've been in, in decades. Um, so like this whole kind of unwind, I, I think has yet to play out in full. Um, I think Bitcoin, you know, if there is some massive risk off uh, rally or risk off downturn, Bitcoin's not going to be insulated. I think that's natural. Um, but could the bottom be in? Of course, you know, 15, 16K, 15K, like half the industry went bankrupt, right? <laughs> right? Like I didn't shove all my chips in the middle at, at 16K and I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I got a bag. Right. So I think everyone's really focused on like, is the bottom in, you know, like, and that's fair, right? Like I, I would, I would have loved to have called it to the T. Um, but I, I also think that, you know, we should be prepared for anything. And if Bitcoin wicks to 10 K because, you know, the financial system blows up tomorrow, like that shouldn't change your position. Right. So like just having that ability to tolerate volatility to the upside and downside is, is something that you should have if you have a long-term outlook. Absolutely. And, and, and Dylan, one of the things that, that you mentioned, and I kind of want to double back on that, right, which is, and you're, you're mentioning, you said that there could be a potential contraction in 2023. And this is actually a similar question. I see Dr. Jeff Ross in the chat. I asked him this when, when he came on the, on the pod a couple of weeks ago. And I, you know what, the way that I'm seeing it is, Right. The, the what the you know what the central bankers have been telling us over the last couple of months. Right. Just it's going to be a soft landing. Everything's going to be OK. But so far. Right. You had the employment numbers. They were pretty solid. They're pretty good. So, I mean, 
were they able to pull this off? Were they able to print this ungodly amount of money with absolutely no consequence? Or do you believe this is the calm before the storm? And the reason I'm saying that is because I saw a tweet that you posted two images. Um, and it was fascinating. It was like, uh, yeah, the, the U.S. economy is fine. Everything's going to be happening. You look at the dates, it's 2007. So, of course, you know, we're not fortune tellers. And we can't read into the future. <laughs> but uh, what does your gut tell you, Dylan LeClaire? Yeah, my, my gut tells me, and, and I'm, I'm prepared um, for, for really any outcome, but my gut tells me that we got some, uh, we got some ugliness to churn through. Um, I, you know, it's like the conversation has gone from hard landing to soft landing to like no landing, no recession. And I, I think, and I am, am, uh, not, uh, I mean, not held, held accountable, but you know, put me in this camp as well as thinking the downturn, uh, as a, as a result of this kind of re-ratchet higher of interest rates, uh, and then, you know, the duration value of the, all these assets, right. When money was free, when the cost of cap capital in real terms was negative, the value of everything else was in theory infinite. It just didn't compute. So we had this global everything bubble, interest rates, uh, you know, the market essentially forced the Fed to tighten a short-term interest rates, um, kind of, you know, went went to the moon because of this inflation, right? And, and here we are. And and uh, I think this isn't, you know, max pain. I mean, for Bitcoin or, you know, crypto or your favorite, you know, social media app ticker, right? Like, I, like, the bottom could in the you know wick it could be very well in, but I think people should just look to uh, similar analogies. Whether it's uh, two thousand you know two thousand eight, uh, whether it's the two thousand tech boom uh, tech bust, whether it's the seventies inflation, right? And you should look at high interest rate cycles. You should look at S and P, and you can, and you should like look at how long these things you know potentially take to play out, um, as well as like you know the, the kind of the, the crazy uh, relative rallies. Uh, from from the local bottoms that assets have, right? Uh, the S and P 500 didn't didn't bottom for 24 to 30. Uh, I think it was, it was 30 months after the top in tech stocks, and the S and P 500 went down 50, percent right? So it's the tech boom. It wasn't even known as a real real bad recession, and the S and P 500 still fell 50, percent right? So, like, I think it's just whether it's Bitcoin or not. Like, you know, Bitcoin went down 80, 75 percent, right? Like, certainly painful. Um, but I, I think, you know, mentally you should prepare for, for, you know, a good amount of, of chop. I think we got some, some real pain, um, essentially in, 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 that, in the, the global economy to come. Um, and, and the U S will be the relatively the best, uh, in the best position. Um, yeah, our capital markets will be the best, um, potentially, uh, and the dollar is going to be a relatively great place to be compared to all these other developed market and emerging market currencies, but the dollar will still, <laughs> be devaluing in real purchasing power terms. Um, and, I, I, you know, monetary repression, financial repression, you know, inflation above interest rates, even if it's 6% inflation and 5%, um, or maybe they even, you know, get that CPI annual number down to three, 4% while, while their short-term rates are at five, five and a half. And maybe that happens for a little bit, but on a long enough time frame, they can't do that with that to GDP at 100, 120%. You can't, you have to, to get the real debt burdens down. The CBO just came out today projecting, you know, that to GDP 10 years from now to be at the same level, right? So, so they're not even really projecting any grounds made up. They're just going to, you know, tack on another 10 trillion of debt, right? Just create more money injected in the bank system. And I think um, we're going to see that, that, that theory is, it doesn't really work well. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be a flat linear line, right? Uh, of productivity, and debt, like they're kind of 
projecting on these models uh, and the reality of this debt overhang uh, and global debt levels and, and old demographics is going to kind of lead to some really nasty unwinds. Like we've, we've already seen the economic cycles kind of like we, we did, we, we jacked the money full of the, the world economy full of funny money. And we didn't really even make it 18 months without that, that, that kind of real economic activity turning over. Right. Like we still have a really hot economy in, in, in inflation terms, in nominal terms, but adjust that for inflation. We're not growing. This isn't growth. Right. It's just it's you know apathetic, lethargic. Um, and we have an aging population of boomers that are about to you know all go into retirement and sit back on their you know on their yacht in their second home um, while the millennials don't own anything. Right. So like there's a really interesting uh, dynamic at play here. Uh, it's going to it's going to take a while. But I think that. Whether I don't think a recession, a strong one, is is in the cards for 2023. I think that's honestly a story that could could go into 2024. Um, and you know, like like hold 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 Bitcoin. Have some stuff that it doesn't matter what the next 18, 24 months of price action have. Um, but like, I feel very comfortable having a whole large chunk of Bitcoin and a good chunk of dollars ready to buy Bitcoin or anything else. Um, and these, like, I, I think. It's not, it's not a kind of linear debase, a debasement. And that at some points, you're going to have periods where the dollars actually, you know, increase in purchasing power uh, in, in an asymmetric way relative to everything else, right? As a function of these deleveragings, as a function of a credit system uh, kind of unwinding. So that, that's kind of why I have a little of both and try to, you know, balance that those two. So I want to pull up this uh, this image because I think it's a, it's a good visual representation of the situation that you were explaining. Um, and it, 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 and I think Lynn put it perfectly, right? The U.S. Treasury Department actually published this and for audio listeners, right? It has historical and projected, and then it has a metric that says debt held by public. And it just, it, it, dude, it's it's absolutely crazy, dude. So this is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's basically MMT visualized. That I mean, that's that's a, not a free market. Um, that is the nationalization of of everything. Um, and the sense, essentially the implementation of, of commun, I mean, cause, okay. If you think about what 700% debt to GDP is, um, right. Like that means that for, you know, the po populace creates $10 trillion of productivity and there's seven, $70 trillion of debt to be paid off to, to the government itself. Right. So, so what is it? It's like in, in indentured servitude by your own governmental body, right? For the collective, like, like what is that? Finan financially, that's like literally the impl implementation of, of top-down communism. And that sounds like super, super dark and maybe a little bit hyperbolic, but like, right. The, I think my, my, my response to that chart is that the US has open capital markets, at least for now, right? Unless there's some drastic change and that the money's gonna flow where it's treated best. Nico, you should, you should pull up um, if you think about Bitcoin uh, versus a dollar ticker or really anything, like ev everything is a relative pair, you should pull up a chart of the, the U.S. dollar relative to the Argent, uh, Argentine uh, peso. Uh, it's it's you know, USD ARS, I believe. Um, and, and look at the daily, weekly, monthly candles of this thing. And it's actually crazy to visualize um, just this, this unbelievable debasement. Um, and uh, I don't know if you can pull it up now or you have that prepared, but it is, it is just uh, quite a amazing chart to look at. It was, I mean, it's, you, you feel bad for the, there's, there's no draw, there's no drawdowns, right? It's just a steady dose 
of devaluation every single day. It's systematic. It's political. Um, and the reality is their, their data is actually much, be much better than the actual situation. But to a less drastic extent, this is how I think of Bitcoin interacting with the dollar, right? It's, it's obviously a lot more volatile. Bitcoin has this, this kind of wild card in the room um, that anybody can flood to and oftentimes flood to at once, which leads to these crazy, crazy explosions. Um, but it's, it's, it's all a relative game, right? So the, the dollar, they're literally telling you to your face, they're going to continue to print this thing. Um, and so, you know, I think natural economics, human incentives are going to play a big, big force and people are going to go where your money's treated best. Just like, look at that. It's just, it's just up only, man. There's not even the, the daily chart looks the same. It's just like, literally there's not even a red candle. It's insane. It's absolutely wild. And and then it, it that reminds me of the, I'm glad that you brought up Argentina, right? The it, recent Bloomberg article, they were, I remember reporting this not too long ago, like a couple of weeks ago, 95% inflation. Now it's up to 99% inflation. Yeah. That's absolutely wild. And what's really interesting also is that they, obviously they went to the IMF, they wanted, you know, a debt deal. And part of that debt deal, the IMF was like, Hey, we'll give it to you, but you must adopt you might, you must de-incentivize the adoption of Bitcoin in the country, dude. It, it's wild, man. So like, it, it, it's, I don't know, Dylan, what do you, what do you think about the 99% inflation, the hostility from the IMF, which obviously makes perfect sense, but what are your thoughts on all that? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think, again, this is kind of to, to circle back to what we said at the beginning, like this is an individual's game. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's certainly a, uh, a level of competent, a financial literacy and technological literacy required uh, to, you know, adopt Bitcoin in a self-sovereign way. But I can assure you that there are Bitcoin black markets, just like there are uh, in, in Argentina, not to encourage black market activity, but they're that official do dollar uh, peso exchange rate you just put on the screen. That's the official one. That's not the that's not the street price, which is actually much worse. Right. Um or, you know, much, much stronger for the peso, uh, weaker for the dollar. That's the, the government, the government rate, right? So uh, inflation is actually much, much worse, right? So that steady, that, that market uh, phenomenon doesn't actually create that perfect chart. It's the government literally just giving you the inflation data or the pressing data that's, that's cooked, right? The, the official exchange rate. Um, and so I, I think that, you know, people are going to adopt Bitcoin in a self-sovereign way because I've talked to people uh, that, have, that have done it in South America. I've talked, I've talked to people that have, you know, actively fled regimes or, you know, secured their wealth, um, in, 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 you know, emerging markets and all over the world. Right. So I think, you know, it's, it's an education thing, obviously. Um, you know, it's, it's, it takes a while. Bitcoin's still very young, but it's for certain people, for families, for companies, uh, you know, it's a, having something that is, is a liability to no one is, is an extremely powerful thing. Um, and, and honestly, like still, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on like the adoption of, you know, like for instance, like Tether on Tron is extremely popular. Is Tether like the best thing for people to store all their family's value in? No. Um, but, you know, these people want dollars. They want something that's, you know, stable to them on a day-to-day -day basis. I know the dollar purchasing power isn't stable, but on a week-to-week day-to-day basis for, for, for these people, it's extremely stable. And so they, you know, that adoption I think is a bridge, but ultimately, you know, talking about the rugs and the collapses earlier, I'm not saying Tether's bad or not. I'm just saying like, there's a liability there, right? They're, they're issuing you this trusted, you know, token and they can freeze it. They can steal it. They can, you know, take the money and run, right? It's, it, there's a liability baked in there. Uh, and, and all stable coins have that model for now. Decentralized solutions are, are tempted to be built, but 
we're not there yet. You know, sats on the lightning network, dollars on the lightning network, these, you know, tarot protocol, it's really interesting stuff. Uh, we don't really have the implementation of it yet. Uh, but I think ultimately Bitcoin um, on chain, but really mostly lightning adoption um, to quickly onboard users um, is, is, you know, the, the kill, not, you know, one of the killer apps for Bitcoin. Uh, and we've just scratched the surface there. Um, it's, I mean, we're really in year maybe one and a half of lightning being good enough to kind of actually operate on a meaningful scale. And some would even say we're not even at that point yet. So that's going to go exponential and it's not even going to be exactly uh, expressed directly into the exchange rate at, at, at first, right? In the same way that the Grayscale Arb and Michael Saylor 5X the Bitcoin price, you know, with some leverage and DGENs in there helping, obviously. But, you know, this, this uh, you know, millions and millions of people in, in you know, developing markets onboarding onto Lightning uh, and, and, you know, somewhat kind of becoming familiar with Bitcoin as a medium of exchange and even potentially a unit of account earning Bitcoins, earning SATs. Uh, that's, that's what, you know, why this thing is going to win is not because regardless of what the U S does, regardless of what China does, like people are, are utilizing this instrument, um, this, this engineering solution. And I think, I mean, you guys have a show on it every day. I talk about this every day. It's very, it's very misunderstood. It takes a lot longer than I thought it's, it was going to take the education and, and, you know, no, a lot of people don't dive in and do 200 hours uh, of, of reading and learning on something once they become a little fascinated or intrigued by it. The Bitcoiners are the most conviction that are, you know, all screaming at each other and having late, like have laser eyes. Like, yeah, they've, we've, we've, we've done that uh, due diligence. The conviction is, is a, you know, natural response, but most people haven't. Most people are like, listen, speculative internet money is cool. The things you're telling me are cool energy markets and inflation and all this Yahoo stuff that you, you don't, I don't really know. I'm a dentist. I don't really care about any of this stuff. Um, I don't need to, I don't really want to invest my money. I just want to save. Right. And you're trying to like explain something to this, to this person that has never even stepped inside the world you're trying to explain. So it takes time. Um, it, it's going to take, uh, I think a little bit longer than we think, but you know, there's certainly a case where the gradually then suddenly aspect is at play here. Um, the question is like, where are we on that inflection point? I don't know. Um, uh, but I certainly, uh, want to be along for the ride and will be. So <laughs> we will see. Yeah, man, I'm being in the trenches with you. Now, you, you mentioned something, and it's honestly something that that bothered me, right? Which is specifically countries that have financial privilege. They have country that countries that have relatively stable fiat currencies. Uh, people are just not incentivized. You said it, like you're a dentist, you just don't care. But what's really fascinating is when you speak to an Argentine, you speak to a Venezuelan, and you tell them about Bitcoin. It's like, where do I sign up? This sounds like a phenomenal idea. This sounds like a great idea. So, and I and I agree. And, and I, when Jeff Booth came on the show, I was like, hey, like, like, aren't you worried that this is happening? And his response is fascinating, Dylan. He said, the people that are closest to the to the monopoly are the ones that, you know, are going to be the latest to wake up. Like, they're not incentivized to wake up. They they benefit from this system. Yep. Yeah. And that's, and that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, I, there was, there was a certain, uh, there was like a part of me in the kind of the orange pill rabbit, the rabbit hole journey where I was like, you know, begging, not like be begging and pleading with others to explain this to them, you know, to like, regardless of who it was, right. It, like friends, family, investors that I respected, uh, for, like, and, and, and I reached a certain point where I'm still willing, obviously to, 
talk through the case, you know, uh, help people understand my perspective or other people's views on this thing and why they would buy it or hold it or do X, Y, Z with it. But, you know, if you don't care, if you think Bitcoin's a scam at this point, like that's fine, right? Like big, yeah, exactly right. Bitcoin is a scam. Um, you're finally right this time it's crashing to zero. Um, <laughs> and, and like, and, and the exchange rate volatility is something that like, I'm completely fine. I've signed up for this. Um, I've allocated accordingly. Um, you should too. And if you think that great allocation is zero, that's on you. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I, I can accept that. Uh, and you should accept the consequences of that. Um, because there's, you know, what, there's a, there's a tail probability here. And most Bitcoiners think that it's the base case and not a tail, tail scenario at all, where this thing becomes, uh, you know, a global, globally dominant, uh, reserve asset and potential, you know, unit of account for, for, for baseline value, um, around, around the world. There's a, there's a tail risk of that. If you, if, if you assign that probability to zero, that's fine. I don't think it's zero. Um, and I think it's, you know, probably higher than most would, would like to think. And so, and, you know, accordingly, I want to own some, <laughs> right? Like, uh, uh, and, and describing this as like a hundred percent sure thing, hyper Bitcoinization, you know, I think that's where you lose some people, at least like, at least to come in, right? Not to come in. I'm not trying to recruit you. I don't care if you buy Bitcoin or not, but like, uh, if you want to understand the thing, I think pitching it as like a sure bet is going to, you know, be worth $900 trillion is like probably the wrong approach. Right? It's like, it's, it's, uh, I think it's, you know, being somewhat bullish, but, you know, reasonable, objective, moderate uh, in the, in the pitch is, is a little bit more effective. And that's maybe that's a bear market phenomenon. Maybe it's like, you know, we should be shilling just relentless amounts of hopium uh, to get people to scoop cheap sats. But like I've, I've taken with my approach a little bit, I guess, over the last few years in regards to like the response to critics. Yeah, it, it's definitely very frustrating for sure. Um, and I do want to go down that hopium route. I want to take advantage of the last couple minutes on the podcast. And you were talking about this potentially being adopted on a worldwide level. And there's this great uh, piece from... Kathy Wood's arc, and she's talking about the bear case, the, the bear case, the, the base case, and the bull case. The bull case, 1.48 million, base case, 682,000, bear case, 200, uh, 258,000. These numbers just don't come from anywhere. She's making the case that Bitcoin would take a percentage of digital money, institutional investment, seizure resistant assets, economic settlement network, emerging market currency nation state treasury, remittance asset, corporate treasury, and of course the bear and the bull, the percentages vary. But what I find the most interesting is the digital gold uh, one. And the bear case would be 20%, which is pretty high percentage-wise. And the bull one would be 50%. So I don't know if you had a chance to look at this, Dylan, but uh, you know you were, you were mentioning uh, about Bitcoin potentially being you know, adopted on a worldwide level. And it's, you know, this is a good... Uh, little graphic to pull up to 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 speak about that. So I don't know, man. What what do you think of this? Is this uh pure hopium straight into our veins? <laughs> yeah, I think that the thing that I've I've learned um is that, you know, to a certain extent, uh price tar- like price targets, uh, you know, fair value estimations, et cetera, are are great. Uh, you know, happy to to hear those and and uh, you know, potentially some baseline scenarios, but assigning a price and a timeline is uh, for, for something this volatile, uh, you know, this nascent uh, to the upside and, you know, volatile to the upside and downside, right? Like 
in, in 2015, who could have imagined in their right mind that Bitcoin was going to touch 20,000? It's just, it was just inconceivable. Um, and, you know, subsequently, right, if you told someone in 20, you know, January of 2018, you know, right, it were dipped from 20K to 15K, you're like, yeah, you know, in 2023, Bitcoin's going to be $20,000. They'd be like, what went wrong, right? Like, and so the, the, the wild swing of emotions is certainly like something. Um, but, uh, I'm sorry, I kind of I went off on a tangent and, and forgot the the purpose of the no, question. No, it's all good. It's all good. You're you're being cautious, and I think you're you're totally oh, yeah, taking yeah. the right. You're totally taking the right approach. You know, um, and you're you know you're saying because I completely agree. I think that price targets into the future. It's pure hopium. No one has anyone. No one has any idea what they're talking about. I just yeah. think it's interesting. Maybe not so much from the price anticipation aspect. Like if we put that aside. But more so from the percentage of uh, of the per, the penetration the penetration percentage rate, and I think that's what's really interesting to me, right? Specifically when it comes to, for example, nation state treasury, you know, zero, one percent, and five percent are the numbers she laid out. Digital gold, 20, 40, 50 percent. Institutional investment, one, two point five, six point five percent. So I guess the question, a more responsible question for you, Dylan, would be. Are those numbers even conceivable? Did, did you imagine a future where Bitcoin is a a, a well-respected, because it has to be to, in order to get to those numbers, a well-respected institutional investment? Do you, do you see that? Because right now we live kind of in this in in you know in this moment in time where you know Michael Saylor, Naim Bukele, you know they don't exactly look like they don't exactly look like their moves were intelligent. Of course. As Bitcoiners were biased, and we know they're going to be vindicated eventually, as as number go up, technology does its thing. But I don't know, man. What's your take on that? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think it's it's uh, the it's just it's a it's a global capital flight sponge uh, and capital flight, not in a political dissident way, but uh, potentially in a political dissident way, but in a in a systematic way. It's like like if you think about all foreign exchange. Uh, if you think about you know dollars against Japanese yen, it's 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 a little, forex is a little different because like they both have moving exchange rates. So there's also kind of an exchange rate, interest rate carry mechanism in those relative things. But essentially, right, like if you think about the dollar, if you think about when you're talking about you know global debt to GDP dynamics, you know why debt to GDP even matters, and why do we see like these these global wars break out at these high inflection points of global debt to GDP? And then wars come and like somehow reset the, the table. Like, why does that stuff happen uh, in monetary systems? Why do monetary resets happen at these global inflection points? And it's because the debt systems are, are too unsustainable, right? It's it's just they reach a point where they, they can't be serviced. So something has to be done to revalue the real burdens. And we're in this middle of this revaluation uh, with this kind of this inf dose of inflation. They mapped this out in 2014, 15, the, the IMF came out. They wrote a paper. They're like, how do we get this debt levels down? They're like, oh, well, a steady dose of inflation. And you're basically, it's a wealth transfer from the creditors. Who are the creditors? The people that buy the long-term debt, right? So, so this is the game that's being played. Um, and Bitcoin is just sponge as just this exit opt-out vehicle. Uh, you know, whether it's like, you know, you're DCAing on, on Swan or Strike or River, or you're, you know, you're in an emerging market and you're literally just, you know, selling freaking, you know, you're selling food on the side of the road to support your family and you're storing it in, in, in blue wallet in an open source manner. Like this is all, this is all happening and it's all at a relative game. So, so Bitcoin, you know, if like 
a four, the funny thing is like a 40% compound annual growth rate is like the bear case, right? Like slash that in half, right? Like slash, slash the, 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 their bear case arc by, by 75% and, and have it be a 25% the size of that, of that bear case prediction. What was the bear case? Like a couple hundred thousand, like, even if it was like a, you know, like, like, Oh, you estimate Bitcoin at the worst, worst case. And then, you know, lower that by a factor of four, even though the worst case is still like a 10, 15% Kager, like, Oh, okay. So I just, you know, all I needed to do is just like own a little bit of it, um, protect my, like my tail risk here, which is like the system I know and I'm comfortable with in the world I know from an economic standpoint, even if you don't know economics, you know, I just have a 401k or pension or something that I promised 20 years down the line, but you should own a little bit of Bitcoin in case that those entitlements you think you have are a big fat zero. Like Nico, I, my social security is taken every, every week from, from part of my mm -hmm. income. And I just, I, I just imagine the money just getting burned. Yep. I know I'm never going to see any of it. I know. I know that. I mean, I'm at, you know, I'm not necessarily at peace with that, but I, I understand that's a, that's a reality of my situation. Um, it's stolen. It's burned. It's never, I'm never going to see it. You know, it's supposedly going to the roads, but it's really being funneled through Ukraine um, in a money laundering operation. Like I'm at, at peace with that. I understand that. I, I will say that. Um, and maybe that makes me, you know, this rogue political, uh, <laughs> political person, but like, you know, I don't think that's a radical view at all. So, so my response to that is like, all right, I'm going to own one of the only things in the world that I think I can actually own. And I like, I'm really comfortable as a mathematics person. Like I approach Bitcoin from a math and finance lens first and all the technological stuff I dug into and came to, to understand afterwards. But as a math person, like I'm a very, very comfortable uh, after, you know, reading some elliptic curve cryptography and reading smart people's opinions on it and learning about encryption and learning about, you know, the having and the difficulty adjustment and all these things and how this thing works and learning a little bit about software and what running a node means and what mining means and being like, okay, wait, so this is probably the only place in the world where like I can, you know, hold mm, what I own and where it can't be incorrupted, where it can't be corrupted. Like that, there's really nothing else. Um, I can defend gold with my gun, right? Like that's, that's good. Um, that's not good if I want to hop around the world really easily, right? So like Bitcoin is just like for me, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a privileged Westerner, Nico. Like I have a brokerage account. I, you know, I can short bonds if I want to or long NASDAQ stock. But like, you know, that's it. Like the person in Argentina can't buy NASDAQ. They can't get dollars even. They can't get dollars at the real rate. Like, what can they do? And there's, you know, I think there's a, there's a singularity here with like Bitcoin as, you know, one of the more important ideas of our time. Um, the wild, the, the wild bullish price targets are fun. And I've honestly been a proponent and champion of some of those crazy ludicrous targets in the past. And I still am. Um, but I think that's the price, despite being an, you know, an analyst that posts a lot about markets and financial stuff and price. I think that's like one of the probably lesser interesting things is like projecting out like how many sats do I own and like what will this price be in the future? Ten million? Oh, I'm gonna be rich and I'm gonna buy a, a jet ski and a villa, you know. Versus like okay, like this is the, probably one of the most important idea ideas of our time. I should own some. I should be able to eloquently describe the bull case of it. I should be able to, regardless of of who's my my listener, because um, right? there's 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 an, always an angle where someone could probably understand it if they're if they're not completely like close-minded and, and have a ton of cognitive dissonance. So I think that's the important thing. I, I think, you know, the ARC framework is interesting. Uh, they've certainly been battered ARC as along <laughs> with stuff, but 
you know, uh, they have some, they, they have some really smart minds there. So I, I, I respect what they do. And I think you, you, you said it perfectly, Dylan came for the money stayed for the revolution. And I think that's, uh, that's what we're all living through nowadays. Anyways, Dylan LeClaire, it's been a pleasure honor. Like always, thank you so much for, for coming on simply Bitcoin IRL. And, uh, I mean, this is an obvious question, but I do it with every guest. What are you working on nowadays and where can people find you online? Yeah, uh, I am doing a, a few different things. Uh, I am with Bitcoin Magazine, uh, BTC Inc., um, writing the newsletter Bitcoin Magazine Pro. You can find that at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. Uh, we're just putting, putting together Substack releases covering more of the finance aspect of it. Um, also kind of doing my own thing uh, with 21st Paradigms. So you can find me at, at Dylan LeClaire. Uh, dot info or just my twitter at dylan leclaire uh underscore um you know i i also have been trying out noster uh i don't know if it's the best place to find me there but uh it's a pretty exciting uh that app uh and twitter you know i'm i i am bullish on twitter i like twitter love twitter spent way too much time on there for the past few years but uh a little bit pessimistic about it staying power so we'll see what it goes but i i mean nico i really appreciate you guys having me on uh it's been fun to rip uh, and hope the listeners uh, enjoyed enjoyed it a bit. Thanks, Dylan. Appreciate you coming on. Guys, that was another episode of Simply Bitcoin IRL. If you enjoyed it, make sure to smash that like button. And we'll see you tomorrow back for the live show. But if you want more Bitcoin content, head over to the Swan Bitcoin channel. They just dropped a new podcast with Dr. Jeff Ross and James Lavish. So definitely check that out. Love you all. And we'll see you tomorrow. 